The scripture for today is from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Amen. You may be seated. Thanks, Doug. You grab that table. Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Everybody getting all wet? <laughs> we had quite a bit of rain yesterday. Um, excited to see everybody here this morning on this on this day. I know it's harder to get out on a day like like this. It's easier to stay and be wrapped up in our in our blanket in front of a fire or something this morning. So it's great to have everybody and see everybody here this morning. <clears throat> we um, last week we had baby dedication and we had child dedica- uh, child dedication and ba- uh, baptism, and we were beginning last week our series on. Um, uh, we were being, I'm sorry, I do this every time with me and electronics. For some reason, we just don't get along very well. It always seems like it happened to me in the first hour too. So I don't know what I'm doing wrong, but, um, we began a series on, on the, the God who redeems. And last week we talked about how that those coming with, uh, children to dedicate was recognizing or introducing them into this uh, community of faith, if you would, dedicating themselves, we dedicating ourselves as a body of believers to instruct, to live Christ in front of them. And so then also baptism was a recognition of, of those who came by baptism, believing in Christ, being redeemed by Jesus, trusting in Christ for their salvation. And we, when we recognize that in the proclamation of their, of their faith and their identification with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So this week we're going to continue that series on the God who redeems. And in order to understand when we talk about the God who redeems and we talk about redemption, if we're going to talk about um, the things that God has done, the first thing we begin with is God. We need to identify who he is. We need to recognize in our own lives, we need to understand the truth of who God is. And so this morning I want to do that when we begin in John chapter 1, if you take your Bibles and turn there, uh, we'll be in the Gospel of John, verses 1 through 5. We'll be looking at some other passages along the way as well. But our main text, we're going to be in John chapter 1. So before we get started, let, let me pray. Let us pray together. Father, we come before you. And Lord, I ask this morning that as we, as we look at your word, as we gather together, that Father, you would speak to us, your people. That, Father, we wouldn't walk in darkness, but we would walk in the light of the truth of your word. That, Father, as we understand who you are and who we are in Christ, we understand our identity is found in Jesus Christ. And as we live that identity out in this world because we are different because of the work of Christ in our lives, that, Lord, we've been redeemed and set free. That, Lord, we would walk after you with all of our hearts and our minds and our souls. Father, this morning, as we gather together, as we open your word, as we have this time together, that, Father, you would speak to us, 
He would go past all of my own shortcomings, my own sins and iniquities. And Father, that you would speak to us that we might hear from you today. That Lord, we understand that unless your spirit moves in our hearts and enlightens and that we understand these, how would we, Father, walk out of darkness? So today, Father, may we have hearts that are, that are soft and, and ready to hear and that you would speak to us, God. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So <clears throat> during my years, one of the things I've always enjoyed and loved to do is share my faith. And over the years, I've done that on multiple, multiple occasions. And I can remember back in, not long after I came to Christ, I was out of high school and I was starting to seek after Christ. And I was out of high school and I took this job in a gas station. And there was a manager that was in this gas station. His name was Doug. Doug was a very unique individual. And I had begun to share my faith with Doug on many occasions. Doug grew up in a very wealthy home. We were, I, we were in Denver. That's where I grew up. Uh, he came from the Northeast and was very, had a very wealthy family, had a lot of things that were given to him, and he decided he was going to embark on his own, start his own journey. And he ended up there in Denver and was managing this gas station when I met him, and I began to share the gospel. Doug had a unique, unique view as I began to share the gospel because Doug believed that we determined our own destiny. And I'll never forget as I shared with him and talked to him, he said, you know, he was saying things like, I'm in complete control of my, of my destiny. And I found that ironic. I remember Ed, Red, he was another guy, and, I'm, and some of these folks you probably have heard me share about sometimes over the years, but I remember Red, Red when he came, he was at the gas station too, and when he came, I'll never forget the first time I started sharing with him, he made it very clear that he was an atheist. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And we began to talk about that. And he came to a place where he finally said, well, I guess I'm more agnostic. I just can't know if there's a God or not. And I began to share with him more about why I believe there was a God and, and, what, and what had happened with him in sending his son, Jesus Christ. I remember Red came to a place where he's like, he started acknowledging, yeah, okay, this, this Jesus and his death, his burial, his resurrection. And I remember I was kind of excited this one day and I said to Red, I said, Hey, are you ready to receive Christ then? You know, if you, if you know these truths, are you going to receive Christ into your life? And he goes, no. And I said, why not? I was just shocked. He goes, oh, I just don't want anybody telling me what to do with my life. <laughs> I remember another guy named Sam. You've heard me share about Sam. I met Sam when I was putting in sprinkler systems. Sam was a philosopher. He had a master's in philosophy. We had a lot of great discussions over, over the time that we got to work together. Um, Sam, if you remember, he's the one that I was sharing one day where he was so frustrated. He was following me around on the work site. And Sam made me look like a small guy. He was this big, he had muscles where, you, you know, nobody else had muscles. He was just this big guy. And he's just, all of his body just yelling at me as we were walking around on, on the deal. But Sam, he didn't believe in Christ. He didn't believe in a God that would send somebody to redeem us. Sam believed in this kind of an eternal kind of a, what do you, what do you call it? Oh, re-existence. He didn't call it reincarnation. He just called it kind of a return, eternal uh, kind of re-existence. We just keep coming back and circular. And I remember having conversations with him about that. I remember John. John was a guy I met while I was in Maine up there. And um, John was a, a philosopher, well-read, and, and he was a lot of fun to share the gospel with. 
I remember John kind of finally one day told me he felt like the gospel was just a beautiful romantic idea in literature. He saw no value or power behind it. Tom was another one. Tom I met when I was in the restaurant business and began to share the gospel with Tom. Tom was a good guy. I, I always enjoyed it. I learned a lot about management from Tom. But I'll never forget as I began to share the gospel with him, and as we had these discussions, I remember one day he kind of got frustrated with me. He kind of turned and he kind of yelled at me. And this is what he said. He said, I, <clears throat> it wasn't important what the Bible said, but what I thought I, it said. The authors didn't even understand what they were writing. <laughs> Sometimes it's hard to share these, just to be honest with you, because um, we're talking about eternity. We're talking about life. I remember Joe. Joe was a guy that I met. <clears throat> he was about twice my age at the time. He lived a very good life. He attended church his whole life. I remember Joe, he said, he said, surely, he said, I've been attending church. In fact, he held up his fingers on his hand. He said, I've, I've missed church less than the numbers of fingers on my hand. He said, I've lived a good life. Surely God won't keep me out of heaven. And as I thought about each one of these different views, each of these views have one thing in common. Did you recognize it as I shared? Each of these views had one thing in common. They were moving away from God's truth and becoming dependent on their own truth. I've said this many times when I hold up this book, the Bible, and I said this is objective truth. That this word, this Bible, does not need me to confirm that it's truth. It stands as truth in and of itself, all by itself. God does not need me to come along and determine that he is God. He is God in and of himself. He does not need me to determine that he is God. And it's one of the great travesties of humanity is that we follow after our own way. That we turn away from the things and the truths that are, that are God and we seek after and begin to pursue the things that we desire, our own ways. It's no different than it was in the garden when Adam and Eve was there and, the, and our adversary, Lucifer, looked at them and said, look, if you eat of that fruit, you'll be what? Just like God, knowing good and evil. The temptation of our lives is not, is not to bring ourselves under in, in a state of humility under the mighty hand of our God. The temptation of our lives is to ignore God and to go our own way. It is a great travesty of humanity that we would fall after our own uh, depravity and seek our own way. And when we talk about the God who redeems, we first must talk about who is God. We must understand that he is God and God alone and not our own understanding of who God is, but that as God has revealed himself in the person of his son, that God, who he is, is God everlasting to everlasting. And so when John, the apostle John, picks up and writes this gospel, John is probably one of the last apostles left. It's about 85, 90 AD. And John begins to deal with the nature and the person of Jesus Christ and what does it mean to believe in him? What does it mean to have faith in Christ? The apostle asserts that Jesus is God. 
You cannot read the Gospel of John and walk away from thinking anything else unless you undermine or change the meaning of Scripture. Unless you determine that John somehow, and people say this, by the way, even in our day and age, where people would say, well, they wrote that sometime after Jesus, and so they gave their slant. They really didn't understand what they were saying. They gave their slant, and they focused in on the person of Jesus, when what we really need to understand is the teachings of Jesus. And they separate those things, and we begin to pursue in our own way. John, John had no problem with understanding. He had seen Christ. We could go to John, 1 John chapter 1, and he talks about whom we have handled, whom we touched and heard and seen with our own hands. That's John's account. And he asserts that Jesus is God. And there were doctrinal variations that had begun to appear. And some of those assertions of, were beginning to to cause doubt among the believers at the very foundations of our Christian truths as they were being challenged. When you talk about the Gospels, we have the Synoptic Gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke. A lot of them tell the same kind of history. They have different variations and they have different emphasis. Each one, like Matthew, he looks all the way back in the line of of Joseph, and then you see Luke looking after the line of Mary. You just you have different emphasis, but you find great sections of the of those of those gospels, even almost word for word, repeating some of those instances. But John doesn't do that. When you look at the synoptics, they present Jesus for a generation in the process of being evangelized. They were written somewhere around 60 AD. So here we are now as much as 25, 30 years later when the apostle John writes this gospel and he presents Jesus as the Lord for those who are maturing in their faith as well as those Christians who are beginning to question as the doubts of, of, of doctrine were beginning to, to infiltrate into the church. Some of the doctrinal issues of the time came from Serenthism, which threatened really the very th- theological foundation and disturbed many of those who believed at the time. The heresy was taught by a guy named of Serenthius. That's how you get Serenthism. He stated that the Christ came upon Jesus at his baptism and left him prior to his crucifixion. You go, well, that was, that's kind of crazy. And that was last, uh, yesterday afternoon, we, we had our small group get together and uh, Scott, who's in our group, was sharing about how after he came out of DBU, he actually was applying at this church to be a youth guy. And he said it was a great situation. The pay was good. The, they actually even had a parsonage, so he's kind of excited about it. And then he goes and he's meeting with them. He got to like second, third, or fourth interviews. And, and he's meeting with them, and they said, well, what do you believe about Jesus? And, and Scott shared, and, and they said, well, we actually believe that Christ came upon Jesus at his baptism. So this is even in our day and age. And Scott said, well, I don't, you know, I don't believe that. And they said, that's all right, as long as you teach that. He's like, no, I can't do, I can't do that, right? You know? It's, it's, it's false doctrine, people. Do you know your Bible well enough to recognize false teaching? That's a question you should ask yourself. Some of these are obvious, but this teaching lead at the time of when, Paul, when John was writing this and was beginning to infiltrate the church, this teaching was about Christ and Jesus as being separate. In other words, there were two different beings. They weren't fully God, fully man. It was the humanity 
of Christ and then the Christ or Jesus and then the Christ spirit coming upon him. It really threatens the very foundation. Jesus was born naturally without a virgin birth. Well, how do you walk away from scriptures? You have to begin to reinterpret scriptures to make that fit. Corinthian, I'm going to mess up his name several times. He denied the incarnation of the Son of God. He taught against the full deity and full humanity of Jesus Christ. And it was clear that these teachings were beginning to trouble the church with the denials of the incarnation. So when John states his purpose in John chapter 20, verse 31, when he says, but these things, John says, the reason I've written this It's a very clear book about the objective of why he wrote. These things were written that you might believe what? Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing on him, you might have life in his name. Jesus was a distinct, he was not an ordinary person. And so many times, even in our day and age and the threatened of our culture, who is now even attacking the person of Christ, Changing who he was, not recognizing his, that he was fully God and fully man, but emphasizing his humanity and thus turning even believers away from, from truth. We as God's people have to recognize sound theology. The total thesis of the gospel, of this gospel that John wrote is belief in the son of God who came from God. And what he provided for us in redemption. That's why that series on, that we did not too long ago on atonement was so important that we would understand our faith and what we believe and what God has done. And the challenges that we fight today for the gospel is not any different than what John faced. There are many who challenge the person of Christ and see him purely as historical. I, I, I don't like doing this very often, but I'll go get on the internet, and I know you guys do that, you know, and you start searching things, right, about who Jesus is. And there's whole websites, uh, whether it's what you call it, you wanna call it progressive Christianity, the emerging church, whatever you wanna call it, who have begun to change this from objective truth to what they determine that it says and means. I have read and heard about people who say that, yes, the authors don't, didn't even know what they were writing, but we do because we're so advanced in our intellect that we now understand these truths. And I find it ironic that the same arguments, the same kinds of things happening today were no different in the day of Christ. We need to understand that. And so when I go and I print out a bunch of stuff like this, I usually get aggravated. It takes me a couple hours to get through it because I'm throwing stuff around like, how can people believe such falsehood? And then my heart breaks and I wonder, does, the God of people, does God's people at Mansfield Bible Church recognize false doctrine? Do we understand these statements? That when there's an emphasis that we say, oh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbors yourself, that we redefine love as acceptance of everything instead of understanding what God has defined in his word, what is love. That we begin to, to adjust and determine what love is instead of saying, hey, look, This is what God says. God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Our sin is not negate the fact that God loves us. Our sin demonstrates the fact that he loved us in the sinning of his son, Jesus Christ. Not that somehow we attained. And and so this one paragraph, and it's all I could share today without, uh, I'll, I'll start getting going if I start reading some of this. 
but I want to share it with you because this is what the exodus from the church is because of the lack of understanding with other people of God about truth. And we hear things and we go, oh, that sounds good. I, I agree with it without ever going back and saying, well, does God agree with it? We believe, this was a statement, I got it off Progressive Christianity website. We believe that God's will and way were revealed in Jesus of Nazareth. Now there's a reason why they're identifying Jesus of Nazareth. <clears throat> we believe, and I, I started doing it over there and I had to stop because I could really break down each sentence so I'm not gonna try to do that too much. We believe that the historical Jesus, why are they saying historical? Huh, why? Because they're trying to identify him as just a man, no different than us. We believe the, the historical Jesus, the Jewish rabbi, carpenter who lived in ancient Palestine became the Christ as his followers encountered him in, the, in their midst after his earthly death. Did you catch the word? What was it? Somebody said it. I thought I heard somebody say it. Became. Became. What? If Jesus became God, you know what? We can become God. <laughs> and I know my heart, it's not good enough. Somebody has to change it. It says, became the Christ as his followers encountered him in their midst after his earthly death. In other words, it's as his followers began to encounter him. The Holy Spirit awakened them to the power of Jesus' presence in their midst. In other words, it wasn't the Holy Spirit convicting and teaching us about righteousness and about justice. It was, it was this awakening that took place within us. Jesus came alive when they trusted that his love, his guidance, support, comfort, and challenge remained with them even though his physical body did not. Was there anything in there about atonement, by the way? They, Jesus came alive. You know how Jesus rose from the dead? By the power of God. That same power that works in us. He came alive when they trusted his love, his guidance, support, comfort. Does Jesus guide and love and support? Yes, but he does it after he changes us. He takes us from, from, the, from the penalty of sin through his sacrifice and makes us alive. He, by his propitiation and his death, that he took upon the wrath of God that we may not have to, that he reconciled us, that he reconciled us be between God and humanity as we by faith receive Christ into our life, that he set us free from the bondage of sin and death through his redemption. It doesn't say anything about that. That these things, Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection provide the inspiration and challenge for us to live as followers of Jesus. The inspiration, the challenge, there's no way I could live after Christ if it wasn't for the work of God in my life, that he made me alive. Dear people of God, what we do is that we, we begin to change truth and we begin to redefine who Christ is in order that we can appropriate our own thoughts, our own ways, and our own purposes, that we, like all that all we like sheep shall have gone astray, each has turned to his own way. And the issue is that we don't humble ourselves before a mighty God and recognize who he is. 
No wonder John said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us in verse 14. You think he was addressing some of the doctrine of his day? Or that later in verse 29 of chapter 1, when, when John the Baptist sees Jesus coming, before his baptism, by the way, he sees Jesus coming and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God, which take away the sins of the world. You don't think that had some truth in it that was understanding in that day that the struggling believers would go, Wait a second. Yes, this is the Son of God. This is God. You think the Apostle John understood the battle before him? Or like some today who believe that the authors of the New Testament didn't even understand what they were writing. Jesus was no ordinary person, but rather the incarnation of the eternal God who chose that means of revealing himself through his son perfectly to humanity. And when he says there in verse one of chapter one of the Gospel of John in the beginning, it's just like in Genesis 1.1, there is no attempt to approve the existence of God. God is simply there. John is carrying the, our thoughts beyond the beginning of creation into time and eternity, the eternal existence, kind of the immeasurable past. It's not a focalized point of time, but it assumes this timeless eternity that Christ was always there, that God was always there. God doesn't need us to define it. It's so strange, by the way, and this is one of the reasons why I think so many times we go down the wrong roads of, of false belief, is that we try to make God like ourselves. Well, how do I live? Well, you know, I live by the raising of the sun and the setting of the sun. I live, you know, I have an appointment today. How did we all know to show up here at 11? Right? Because we have time. We live by time. God's outside of time. He's eternal past, and we don't understand those things, so we try to make God like ourselves. And so in the beginning was the word. That word there is the word logos. It originally kind of refers to the kind of the spoken word with an emphasis on the meaning conveyed, not just the sound. For instance, like when, when Lydia and I began to have kids and our kids were little, some of the fun times is when they just would start talking. They were just so happy and they're just, blah, 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 you know, and they're just going on and on and we're giggling. We don't have any idea what they're saying. They're just making all these sounds, right? That's not what Logos is. And then there comes that day when they go, Daddy, Mommy, and man, your heart melts and then you get a little older and you start having these conversations and there's meaning. That's the idea that there's, there's an idea conveyed behind this idea of logos. It's an expression of, personali perso of a personality in communication that God is communicating through logos. To the Hebrew, the word, uh, the word of God was a self-assertion of the divine personality. When they turned to the word of God, they saw God and the divine personality. In the Greek, it kind of denoted the rational mind that ruled the universe. In fact, it was interesting because when you look at Greeks used it in many different ways. And one idea was that they were kind of waiting for this rational mind to come or this reason to come and show them the way. It's almost as if John kind of uses this, this idea of Logos, to, this concept to indicate that Jesus is so much more. And that here God is and he's revealing. He was endeavoring to bring out the full significance of the incarnation, not only to the Gentile world, but also as well to the Jewish people. His pre-existence, he was involved in the act of creation, we'll see in verse three. 
Therefore, he was superior to all created beings. That Jesus, this presentation of, of the word lifts Christ above the materialistic, above the pagan concept of deities, just as the incarnation brought to the Hebrew the concept of God in everyday life. Let me ask you this question. Do you see Jesus as superior? You see, that's where we falter. If we don't see Jesus as God and superior, as we don't see him as God and God alone, then we are gonna wander our way. We are gonna trust in our own reasoning. We are gonna trust in our own thinking. Not that God hasn't given us a mind and an ability to believe and to understand truth, but when we begin to pursue outside of his will and his direction, then we're always gonna go astray. And it says there that the word was with God, that idea with suggesting company with. Then he says, and the word was God. Now I want you to understand something here. It doesn't say, and the word was a God. The word a isn't even in the Greek text. There are some translations or some religions that will add that Jesus was a God, trying to include him in these deities. He's not, he is the one and only. He's not a God. He's not merely divine. It wasn't like Jesus kind of figured out life and became divinity. It would imply that we all become divinity. We all could reach that attainment. But that's not what he's talking about. That he was God. He, that the word is eternal. The word is in a relationship to God the Father. And the word is God. That Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, had all the essence and attributes as God. He was fully God and there was never a time he wasn't God. There was never a time Jesus ceased from being God. At the very foundation, at the very corner of our faith is that truth. And we need to rest in it. And, and look over, take your Bibles. I didn't do a bunch of verses on screen because I wanted you to see some of these. Turn over to chapter eight of John. In chapter eight, it's one of the chapters I love because there's all this going back and forth. We know who our father is. No, you don't. And it's back and forth. They actually make reference to Jesus' uh, being born out of wedlock. And so it comes to a place in verse 55 in chapter eight of John, the Gospel of John, verse 55. He says, but you have not known him. He's talking about God. Jesus speaking here. You have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. I love the fact that Jesus just shoots it straight, right? But I do know him and I keep his word. Verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Verse 57, so the Jews said to him, can you just kind of see their righteous indignation rising up? So they said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. Have you seen Abraham? And Jesus in verse 58 said to them, it is true. I know your translation might say truly, truly, but it is true, it is true. That's what truly means, it is true. I say to you before Abraham, I am. And he identified with the God in Exodus who delivered the people Israel out of Egypt. And so when he's saying here, I am, I am the eternal God, 
I am everlasting to everlasting. I am the creator. I am self-existent. I alone am God. And you think they understood? Look at verse 59. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. I really hope, I always say this, I really hope when we get to heaven we have an RV room, you know, just kind of audio-visual or something like that. You know, you go in there, because I want to see some of those. You know, like, here Jesus, they're all ready, they're all picking up stones, and he's like, okay, hang on, I'm leaving. You know, and they're like, are they still, I'm really trying to, I don't know what happened. I always find that very amazing. I just hope I get to see it in heaven when we get there, you know. Turn over a couple of chapters to chapter 10, verse 27. Here Jesus is identifying himself as the good shepherd. In verse 27, he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Verse 28, I give them eternal life, which is an amazing statement. I give them eternal life and, I, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of, out of the Father's hand. Now listen to this, verse 30. I and the Father are one. And Jesus declaring who he is, and look at verse 31. I love this phrase here in verse 31. The Jews picked up stones, listen to that word, again. They were picking up stones all the time to throw at Jesus. They picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus in verse 32 says, answer them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? Verse 33, the Jews answered, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus claimed to be God, because he is God. And what is it today when people are trying to take away the deity of Christ Fully God, fully man. In false teaching, what are they doing? They are creating blasphemy because he is God. That's why we emphasize this idea of this truth, fully God, fully man. Back in John chapter one, if you go back there in verse two, it says he was in the beginning with God. I like the fact that it starts with he. Notice that Logos is a person, the word is a person, it's not just some concept out there. It's not some philosophy we follow. It is a person. In verse three it says, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made, all things. In other words, the word is the agent by which all things came into being. In philosophy there's a statement that says, why is there something instead of nothing? When we look around, why is there something instead of nothing? Why are there oceans? Why are there mountains? Why are there people? Why is there something instead of nothing? Because when you understand that God is the creator, you understand that it's something because of God. And that all of us are due him. We are to return to him. We are to recognize him as our creation, creator. The work of revelation began in creation and the creation reveals God. You go look at Psalm 19, I think it's one of the best Psalms talking about the creation revealing the Father. In verse four he says, in him was life and the life was the light of men. Life's most important asset to humanity, think about that. Life is the most important asset, asset 
to humanity. The most important asset you own is not your bank account, it's not your home, it's not your work that you do. Your most important asset is life. And you lose life and it's tragic. And the scriptures teach us that life is in Christ. I talked about it a few weeks ago that there is no life outside of Christ. There's no life outside of Jesus. Life is in him. Our spiritual and physical life comes from Christ. In John chapter, you don't have to turn there, just listen to these verses. John chapter five, verse 26, for as the father has life in himself, so he granted the son also to have life in himself. John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. In John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though they die, yet shall he live. I love that picture as Martha's standing there and going, yes, I know there's gonna be a resurrection. And Jesus saying, no, I am right here in front of you, Martha. I am the resurrection and life. Resurrection and life isn't some concept out there. It's in the person of Jesus Christ. Life begins with him. There is no life outside of Christ. Just like John chapter 14, and I think it's verse six. I should know that, yeah, verse six. Verse six, the verse that God used to really impact my life when Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am what? The life. No one cometh to the Father but by me. We need to understand the claims of Christ. And John understood it. And he was addressing the heresy of his day. The teaching of the simpleness of the fact that Christ came from God. Christ is God and our faith in him. That's why, again, he says in verse 31 of chapter 20, but these have, are written that you might believe, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the sent one of God. That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Not some man who came along and Christ's spirit picked him out. No, but the Son of God. God himself, fully God, fully man. And believing you might have life in his name. There is no life outside of Christ. Scripture is abundantly clear of that truth that there is only one by which there is a source of life, and it's Jesus. The God who redeems is God. The God who redeems is life. The God who demonstrated his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, is God. We begin there. Is God superior in your life? Is Christ superior in your life? Is Jesus superior in your life? Is your life a lack of humility whereby you bring yourself under the mighty hand of God? That you recognize him in humility and complete dependence. Light in the scriptures was also often used as a kind of an emblem of God, just as darkness is commonly used to, know, to denote death, ignorance, sin and separation from God. Remember Isaiah saying and describing the coming of salvation as the people living in darkness seeing a great light. In the darkness of iniquity and the bondage of sin and death, humanity wanders about in complete darkness and yet light shines in. 
as, as salvation is being described as that whereby they see light. Titus 2.11 where it says the grace of God has appeared. And that picture of appearing is the idea of like the sun, the sun coming up over the horizon, horizon and the rays of sunlight shining across the horizon and making known the, the, the beauty. I remember seeing that at the Grand Canyon where the, it was there as the sun came up and the rays of the light coming across and the beauty of the canyon. And here the picture is that humanity in darkness and the light of the, of the sun of God shining out and salvation taking place as we believe in him. In fact, in verse five, he goes, and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Light's nature is to shine and to spill darkness. Darkness is unable to overpower light. Just as righteousness and unrighteousness cannot dwell in the same spot, that's why we needed to be redeemed. Light and darkness can't dwell in the same spot. And a light will always invade the dominion of darkness. That's the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel in the love of God being demonstrated to humanity. Our adversary, our Satan himself, and all of his subjects resist the light, but they will not be able to overcome, capture, or overpower the power of light. Only in our ignorance and in our own rebellion do we walk away from truth. The word will be victorious in spite of the operation, opposition. The God who redeems is God. Before you can ever understand the redemption of our God, you have to understand that he is God. Do not be deceived by the false teachings of our day. As more and more people are falling away and walking after things that aren't truth, starting to believe that this, is, this has error, starting to believe that this isn't God's book that he wrote for us. When you walk away from this, the only truth you can have is truth you find here. And how is it? <laughs> okay, I'm gonna say it. How is it that we who live about 80 years maybe, you know, some of us maybe make in the 90s, how do we who live in the history of time for 80 years, for thousands and thousands of years, humanity has existed. How do we, who live for 80 years, have the arrogance to think that we know more than an eternal God? A God who, la li who exists from eternal past, eternal future, eternal present, and somehow we know more than him. And that's what we do when we walk away from truth. When we start redefining the person of Jesus Christ, the scripture's clear, John made it clear. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Stand true in the person of the deity of Christ, dear people of God. Humble yourselves to receive him, to yield to him daily. If you don't know Jesus Christ and you're here this morning and you've never received Christ in your life, today is the day of humility to come to a place and recognize him and receive the gift of salvation into your life. And if you're here this morning as a believer, maybe you've been following your own way for quite a while now. Maybe you've been ignoring him. You know it. Nobody has to tell you, you know it. But yet in the hardness of your own heart, in the consistency of wanting to have your own way, you continue to kind of go a different direction 
And you know, I mean, the Spirit's prodding. He's poking into those areas of your life, and you know, you know. It's time to humble yourself, to recognize as Christ superior, there's no one like him. There's no one ever in existence that can be fully God, fully man. But to humble ourselves and to yield ourselves to him, the almighty God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, just pray right now that, Father, as your spirit would move today, that you would speak to some here this morning. I must confess that, Father, I, I know for many it's hard. It's hard to come to a place where we yield ourselves and, and give ourselves and trust. And yet, Father, that's the path to redemption. Father, it's the path of freedom. For freedom, Christ has set us free. It tells us that in Galatians chapter five, verse one. So do not entangle ourselves again to the yoke of slavery. And yet, Father, we do it so many times. We begin to follow after our own ways. We begin to, to seek our own purposes. And yet we say we believe in Jesus. We believe in, in Christ. We believe he's God. We believe all these things. And yet, Father, we struggle to humble ourselves. Father, may your spirit speak to us this morning. May your spirit move among us and touch those areas of our lives that need to be touched. And God, give us, give us faith. Give us the faith that we need, that we would not ignore them anymore. But that, Father, we would humble ourselves and yield ourselves to you. That, Father, you would speak to us today, we ask. And that you would have your way to do as you please among us, your people. In Jesus' name, amen.